welcome to Master the Start, a podcast for young professionals where we interview business experts on how you can master the start of your life and business. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of Master the Start, presented by Educating Entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Bobby Mason, and this week we have an awesome guest. Matt Johnson is joining us on the show. Matt Johnson is a marketer, he's an entrepreneur, he's a podcast expert, and he is an awesome musician. As founder of Pursuing Results, a podcast PR and production agency based in San Diego, Matt actually runs a worldwide virtual team helping business coaches and agencies break in and dominate their niche through podcasting. And what kind of guy can give good advice on podcasting if he doesn't run a few podcasts himself? Obviously, not many. So Matt also hosts his own business podcasts, and you can find them at UX, which is U spelt out, and then capital X. And he runs a he hosts a podcast called Real Estate Uncensored. And recently, he also launched a third podcast, and that is called Podcast Pitch Assistant, which is training to help experts get pitched to podcasts consistently by their internal staff. He's also a frequent guest and. Obviously, you can see by the fact that he's a guest on our podcast, he is just one heck of a guy. And I know I always rave about every guest we have on here, but Matt is definitely someone that I learned a ton from. And if you guys are interested in podcasting at all, if you think that's a promotional way to get yourself out there, you need to listen to this episode. And I even recommend taking some time to grab a notebook and write down and jot down some notes. All right, I'm going to stop rambling, and let's get into this week's episode of Master the Start. All right, Matt, welcome to the Master the Start podcast. Thank you for joining us. Like I mentioned earlier to everyone listening, I'm doing it from a closet today, so (laughs) sorry for any echo in advance. But uh, Matt, let's just start out with who in the world are you? What do you do? And then let's go into just one thing you enjoy doing that people wouldn't expect. Mm, Okay. I'm going to talk while I think about that. So we'll see see if this comes out coherently uh, because I I don't know that I have any any very interesting uh, quirky hobbies. All right. So, uh, so who am I? Uh, I run a podcast production agency. It's international team. We've got people all over the place. They're all virtual. I work out of San Diego. Uh, I don't have anybody here in Southern California with me. So we're all over the place. Uh, we've got 10 people, I think, and three interns. And uh, we produce a whole bunch of podcasts for business coaches and consultants and experts, people like that. So um, four or five years ago, I was just some dude working at somebody else's marketing agency. And uh, ended up going up, going freelance and kind of being a, like a marketing freelancer for a while. What I figured out is that the most effective thing I could do for people was help them launch and start podcasts. Uh, that was what I was really good at. And so I just leaned into it. Um, we, I got really, really focused. Uh, first, I got unfocused and found myself in four different businesses. And then I woke up and, and slapped myself in the face and got out of all that stuff and just focused on building my own agency. So, um, so today we sell one thing to one type of person. Um, and I run the agency in about four hours a week. 
Now, I don't only work four hours a week because then I do other fun stuff like host my own podcast and, you know, I wrote the first draft of a book and stuff like that. So it's not like I only work, but for the most part, I work, you know, about six mornings a week and I take the afternoons off and then do some other stuff on top of that. But yeah, like when I came out to California, I set my income goal. I knew about how many hours a, a week that I wanted to work and I hit uh, both of those things. So it's been a good ride. That's definitely awesome. Um, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> I, I'm already going to go off script. Okay. And I just realized that you have no camera to look at me with. So you have to awkwardly sit there. So I'm turning mine on because dumb and didn't do that already. Um, well, we're on Skype, so I actually wasn't expecting to be on video necessarily at all. So this is a bonus for me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so much more personal in video form, even yep. though sometimes it makes the audio worse, but more <laughs> editing to do. Um, I'm already going to go off script here because okay. you, you brought up focusing on one thing. And yeah. I think, I think a lot of us, at least early on, I'm, I just turned 26 and yes, I'm four years removed from college, but I think a lot of people leave college and try to balance a lot of stuff, especially if they're going into entrepreneurship. And I don't think a lot of us, I mean, me personally, I, I bounce around a lot of businesses. I have a lot of things going on. And mm -hmm. I'm really curious about this focus on that one thing. How did it change life for you, really? Ooh. Um, well, let's be clear. I, I, I didn't take my own advice a lot. Uh, so I, I bounced around a lot too, uh, all, all throughout my twenties. I mean, it, it wasn't until I hit my thirties that I found a job that I even liked where I found something that I felt like I was good at, where I brought value and I enjoyed the process. So I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with bouncing around a lot in your twenties and, and talking to a lot of people and shadowing them and figuring out what you want to do. So I, that, to me, that would be my, my first piece of advice is if you're in your twenties and you feel unfocused, welcome to the club. Cause that, that comes with time. Um, it, from a business perspective though, the more, I think the more focused you can get, the more attention and energy and problem solving and, and just like, a, like a new business takes a lot of pushing. It's just, it's like pushing a rock up a hill and the more different things you're involved in, the more rocks you're pushing up different hills. And so from a, from a life perspective, I think there's a time to just relax and, and be okay bouncing around and kind of getting into a lot of stuff and seeing what you like. But once you find what you like, then it's time to say, okay, now let's find how I can package it into one thing for one type of person. Cause the more you do that, the faster you'll grow. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. It really yeah. does. It's pretty simplistic, but. It makes sense. I like simple. Yeah, <laughs> as, as you can see from the video around me, I, I keep it, uh, I'm, I'm the ultimate minimalist. <laughs> well, now I'm going to go off topic again. I see a drum set in the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's, that's my one break from minimalism. That's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I tend to add something when I set a goal. Uh, I usually buy myself, like I set a goal linked to a symbol that I want to buy to add to the drum set. So when I get that, whether it's launching a new client or launching my own show or whatever, I'll, I'll buy myself a new symbol. So my, my drum set keeps growing as I uh, accomplish more goals. So that's, I don't apply my minimalism to the, the drum kit. <laughs> All right. I like that. Respect. <laughs> um, so we really focus on mastering the start of business. And we talked mm -hmm. about this before we started recording. Why is podcasting so much more than just a strong following? What, what can someone at the beginning of their business career, how can they take advantage of podcasting? Or maybe it's someone in a small business. Just what is the value behind this podcasting world? I can put it into one word, which is relationships. 
So whether you're a small business owner, an entrepreneur, a freelancer, whether you're, you're kind of getting your start in business, the most powerful asset you can build, especially right out of the gate, is a network of relationships with people that are respected in their fields and who respect you and see your drive and your ambition and see that you're an upcomer, you know, up and comer, uh, an up and coming influencer, an expert, you know, on, kind of on, on your way to becoming an expert in your field, that sort of thing. Um, What's cool about it, I, I noticed this from starting my own podcast in the real estate space, you know, five years ago or something like that, where I was a nobody. I was just some guy that worked in an agency and I had been in real estate before, but, you know, I didn't really like it. I shut down my real estate career when thing when the market started to crash in 07. And so I knew enough to where I, I had read all the books and I kind of knew who the players were. And so when I got on to interviews with people and, and started facilitating conversations between really high level people in the real estate space. Uh, I didn't know that it was going to go this way, but all their credibility kind of bled over onto me. It was like credibility by association. And then as I started to get more confident with the questions I was asking and I was doing a lot of reading and the more conversations I had with these people, I asked better and better questions. And that got me more and more respect to the point where within like the show really started to take off around like the 18 month mark. And then within two years, like me and my partner were doing speaking engagements at real estate conferences. At one point, I remember going to a conference, I think this is in Vegas. And literally every single time I got into the elevator at the hotel where the event was taking place, someone recognized me. So there, there is a lot of value to the audience, but there is the, the, the biggest benefit to me was the relationships that I built by the people that I interviewed on the show. So even if the audience hadn't taken off, I would have still had all those relationships. And if I was starting out now, I would say that's the best, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I could give too is just build that network of relationships because that's actually one of your most powerful assets. I love that. I mean, that's exactly why we started Mastering the Start. Is it? I mean, realistically, we wanted a side hobby on top of the other companies that we're building. And we're like, mm -hmm. it's awesome to connect with people that are ultra successful or have different viewpoints and just diving into their lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's yeah. just like a Tim Ferriss. I know everyone does. There's so many shows out there like us. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of shows out there like me. I can say that much. Mm -hmm. um, but just something about being the actual host and getting to learn from these people and ask the questions that you individually personally want to know. Mm -hmm. It's a game changer. It really is. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. hundred percent. Especially if you use it as your own personal uh, mentoring kind of device basically yeah you get introduced to like super successful people you'd never have a prayer at getting 30 minutes alone with through any other th circumstance including meeting them in an event like that's part of why i say podcasting is the new networking like if i tried to meet some of the people i invite onto my podcast by going to their events and like trying to shake their hands in between their speaking sessions and stuff dude they're not gonna remember who i am you know i could look them in the eye and shake their hand and we could have a nice conversation for a couple minutes in the hallway and an event and a month later they're not going to remember who i am a, a couple of minutes later they might not remember who i am but if we have a podcast conversation where i get to spend a half hour with them asking them really good questions they're going to remember me yeah definitely you know? yeah which i love that so let's just uh start at the beginning of podcasting you mm -hmm. should be an expert in podcasting i'm i'm banking off of that here so a lot of people have no idea where to start, right? Um, so let's start with your firm. What exactly does your mm -hmm. firm do or okay. agency, whatever one you want to call it? Mm -hmm. And yeah. how do you help a host get guests? Like, I'm very interested about that. Mm. Okay. 
So we're turnkey production. So we do everything to the point where our clients just show up and hit record. And then we do everything else, including the uh, so production syndication to all the podcast apps that you can think of. Um, promoting the podcast on email and social media. So we, we do we do everything from soup to nuts. Now that starts with us booking two guests on their show. So what we want to do is we want to find out from the host who are the people that are the most key relationships, who are the potential clients or the people who can refer them potential clients, and who are the other big influencers in their space where they would get credibility by association from having those people on their show. What we do on the backside is we're going to build a whole big list of those potential people and I've got a team of interns that reaches out. We have a certain template that they follow for how they reach out. And we're just essentially cold emailing people, right? And then the, the value proposition, whatever the pitch is, hey, we've got this podcast that you think we think you'd be a good guest for. Here's the show and here's the audience. Uh, we think you'd be a good fit to talk about X, Y, and Z. If that sounds like a good fit, let us know and we can send more details and work out the scheduling. Usually if we've got the fit right, it's an easy yes. Somebody can look at that and they can be on their iPhone at Starbucks and go, yep, and, and just tap us back. Yep, sounds good. Great. That's all we need. And then we usually work it out like with their staff or with their assistant or, you know, whatever. So that's kind of the process for how we book guests. We do that twice a month for all of our clients. So I have a whole team of people that that's their entire job is just getting, uh, you know, guests booked for our show. So we learned a ton there, but it's not, um, it's not super hard if you've got a good fit from the podcast to the guests that you're reaching out to. If there's something in it for them, you know, like if the audience that you have is somebody that they want to speak to, uh, if you don't have a big audience yet, like let's say you're still in the building phases of your podcast and you don't feel confident saying like, hey, I get thousands of downloads per episode, right? That's most people, right? Most people don't get thousands of downloads per episode. What you do is you pitch them on the quality of the conversation that you're going to help them have, right? Like, hey, I think you can talk about X, Y, and Z that's more in depth because of this podcast and the audience than you would get a chance to talk to on other shows, that's how I started out pitching my own show. That's how I pitched a bunch of my client shows. Like you focus on just the quality of the conversation that they're going to have. And you'd be surprised how many ultra successful people will say yes to that without even asking what the audience is like or how big or how long the podcast has been in place. Like I can literally count on maybe a couple of hands the number of times I've had people go, yeah, can you send me like the demographics and the, the downloads and stuff for your show? And usually at that point, I'm like, yeah, no, screw off. <laughs> that's interesting yeah 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 so then let's just start at the start of starting a podcast like what's mm -hmm. what's important to do just in the build-up stages to launching your first episode like is the launch important or is a podcast something that you just slowly build over time and yeah tell me about what what do you even need to start essentially well when, when you, when you, when you do what I do for people, which is like, we, we kind of take away all the technical questions and stuff. We just basically like tell them either we ship them a microphone or we, we tell them what to buy if they don't want to buy the one that we recommend or whatever. Um, but I kind of do everything I can to like remove the technical obstacles. And what you figure out is that those aren't actually that big of a deal. You know, I'm, I'm talking to you on a microphone that is 80 bucks on Amazon. It works great for podcasting. It, you've got a similar microphone I can see. I used to have a really super, you know, super nice vocal recording microphone that was meant for the recording studio. This sounds better for podcasting. So once you figure out stuff like that, you realize that the technical stuff is actually not that big of a deal. Uh, what's more important when you're starting a show is to get your niche right and make sure that you're building a show that people are looking for, like fulfilling a legitimate gap in the market where people are already looking for that content and either they can't find it at all 
or they have to listen to a bunch of podcasts and skim through a bunch of different episodes to find a certain type of content they're looking for. If you can step into that gap and give a group of people something that they're already looking for and can't find, that's what gives your show the best chance of taking off quickly. Now, it is still a long haul. Podcasting is and always will be a kind of a long-term strategy. You know, I mentioned my show kind of started to take off around 18 months in. Gary Vee said the same thing about his YouTube channel. He said, look, I didn't get any more than like 300 views on any single video until I was doing it for 18 months. So there's an element of that where, yes, you want to have a good launch if you can, because it's the best time to ask people for reviews. And that's important. But beyond that, just hang on and and commit to doing something that's sustainable because you want to commit to it for at least 18 months. Hmm. 18 months. Does it matter how many shows you put out in those 18 months? You know, I recommend weekly. That's a nice, sustainable rhythm for most people. You could do more, but you might burn out. I did more and I burned out. I've had clients do the same, you know? So if you don't want to burn out on it, I wouldn't do any more than that. Gotcha. And then once you have your podcast up and running, how do you start promoting a podcast? Like, I mean, I'm even going to ask this selfishly because, (laughs) right. I mean, we haven't even put that much into the promotion of our podcast because we're like, well, we have other companies that we have to run, but right. Exactly. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, so here's, here's the secret on podcasting, which is. 65% of people find new podcasts to listen to by word of mouth. There is, there is no other method that even comes close. I mean, we're talking about nothing else gets more than 10% of, of people to, to do something right. So that is the most important thing. Well, how do you control word of mouth? Well, you can't control it, but it is your responsibility to create a show that is worthy of being talked about that you can do, which that means you know, thinking hard about what your show is about, what your show is called, and making sure that you've got the right clear and compelling idea for the show. So the more clear and the more compelling the idea behind your show is, the more easily people can talk about it. And the and the more, the, the easier it is for them to talk about, the more they're willing to talk about it with other people. Now, beyond that, there are some tactical things you can do like audiograms, highlight clips, things like that. So a couple of years ago, Tim Ferriss asked that question to his audience, like, hey, guys, I want to add half a million listeners to my podcast. What would you do? What could I give to you that would make it easy for people to you know, find out about the show? And that post got, I don't know, three or four hundred comments. I read every single one of them. There was only one thing at that time, because this was a couple of years ago, there was only one thing that people suggested over and over again that we weren't already doing to promote you know, our podcast, because we do the usual stuff like announcement posts and quote graphics and stuff like that. The only thing that people suggested was that they asked for a highlight, you know, one to three minutes of the best part of a podcast episode so that when they told somebody to go listen to it, the person could listen to a snippet of the best part without having to wade through Tim Ferriss's patented eight minutes of ads before an episode starts. (laughs) Hey, you love learning about Peloton bikes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, That's another story. But anyway, um, yeah, apparently Tim Ferriss's audience loves sponsorships and hates paying for the podcast because he tried that. But that's fine. Whatever. Um, So they like the the sponsorships, but they wanted to be able to share it with other people in a way that didn't make them wade through the sponsorships. Perfectly reasonable. Right. So from that day forward, we started doing highlight clips for all of our podcasts to give people something that they could easily consume something that's easy to share on social media. It grabs attention because it's an actual, in our client's case, almost all of them record on video on Zoom. And so we actually get a really nice side-by-side screen of the host and the guest talking. 
And then that's what goes up on Facebook and LinkedIn and stuff like that. So that's been the most effective, like little tactical thing for promoting podcasts. And you also can do it on Skype. So everyone knows that there's a program yeah. that you can get. Um, there you go. That's, that's why we're currently doing it on Skype. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So it, it sounds like you have some more to say about sponsorships. Based oh, on your reaction God, yes. to Tim Ferriss's sponsorships <laughs> and advertising. And okay. I, think, I think one of the biggest questions people have nowadays is, how do you monetize a podcast? How do you monetize mm. it right? Because I, I think based on your reaction to the eight minutes of sponsorships on Tim Ferriss's, that isn't your style. No. So I'm curious, what, what do you think? Okay. So sponsorships work at scale. Everybody that isn't at scale, it doesn't work. So if you're Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, maybe Lewis Howes, and, and, and those guys, I say those guys specifically because none of them offer any sort of high ticket package, like coaching or consulting or, you know, hire my marketing agency, use my service, you know, whatever. None of them offer anything like that. Every once in a while, Tim Ferriss will have like a high dollar event or Lewis Howes might recommend something or he'll come out with a course or something, right? But for the most part, they sell books, right? So they need a lot of people and they have audiences of a lot of people. So when a company comes along and says, Hey, I'll pay you 25 to 50 bucks for every thousand downloads. Cause that's worth it for me to reach your audience. That works for them because they get hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars from that arrangement. Now think about the average podcast that gets 200 downloads an episode. If they pay 25 to 50 bucks for every thousand downloads, you're making a maximum of 50 bucks a month. Like that is not worth it, right? Especially if you're a legit business person that has something to sell. So like if you're like my clients and, and somebody could hand you five grand for uh, a strategy package or write you a check today for three grand to show up at your network, next workshop, why in the world would you take a sponsorship deal to send your traffic elsewhere and risks that trust and, and uses up and burns that call to action for some other company when you could promote your own stuff that somebody could just immediately drop three or five grand into your pocket. Now, here's why people still worry about sponsorships, even when they have some high ticket thing to sell. And it's because they put sponsorship dollars into some other mental bucket in their brain. And they're not thinking about the fact that it's risking selling more of their own stuff. They think that, hey, I'm going to sell what I'm going to sell. And then sponsorship dollars are like this extra category. So like this extra bucket and whatever goes into that bucket is extra money. But not if it costs you one person buying one of your service packages. It, it really just costs you thousands of dollars and you just didn't see it because you were sending that traffic to some other company. So I feel pretty strongly that for most businesses and business people and entrepreneurs that host a podcast, you're better off promoting your own stuff and doing a better job of prom promoting your stuff than to ever send your traffic somewhere else. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Really so just does. my personal opinion. So I always think to myself, there are so many podcasts out there and mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people, at least a lot of people I talk to, they're interested in the world of podcasting, but then they go... There's so many podcasts. What's the point? What, what do you say to those people? Um, well, it's like if you compare it to the world of blogging, podcasting is still like a like a baby horse finding its footing. You know, we're all flailing around over here, all knees and elbows and have no idea what the hell we're doing. <laughs> um, so uh, so believe me, the market, the market for podcasts is huge. I, I think podcasting is going to get to the point just like blogging where it feels like, well, everybody has one. Well, yeah, now it's 
Now it's called a mandatory part of your website. Like if you don't have a blog, it's weird. I think podcasting will get to that point. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'm, I I will never tell somebody you shouldn't have a podcast because everybody that sells anything should have a voice to speak to your audience and talk about what you do. So what I think will change is that podcasting, the term might evolve or go away. But I think we should all, if we're, even if you're just a freelance marketing person or you're a salesperson or whatever, we should all have a quote unquote show where we talk about what we do and what we're learning and what we know, you know, kind of sharing our expertise and what we're doing for clients and stuff like that. Cause it's just becoming a mandatory requirement in the new world where each of us is kind of the CEO of our own little company. Even if, whether you run a company or whether you work for somebody else, you still have a personal brand and your security in the new economy is your personal brand. Even if you don't consider yourself an entrepreneur, it's still like you still have a responsibility to build an asset in the market. And that asset is your brand of who you are and what you do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all I can say is yeah to that. Yeah. Because I mean, your personal brand is so important. Mm-hmm. Especially, I don't know how old you are. Um, I can share that. I'm yes, 37. 37? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh, you're a good looking guy for 37. <laughs> um, that's embarrassing. Anyways, uh, yeah, I think anyone like in their 20s, 30s, you need to build a personal brand. There's mm-hmm. so many things that are going to be automated. There are going to be so many things that, I mean, you just got to become unique in some way. You need to be able to sell yourself. It's just insane. Oh, man. Let me, let me tell you a story about that because I, I, I love this story and I don't get to share it very often. But when I was working for my old CEO at the agency I used to work for, he brought me out to San Diego and uh, it was still when I was in an account management role. So I was working with clients actively on their marketing there. We, we did video and email marketing. And so one day he rolls into the office and he, he throws his hand in the air and he's like, Johnson, you need to write a blog. I'm like, well, what, what are you talking about? What's, what's like, I've got, an, I've got enough going on. What do you mean I need to write a blog? It's like, no, seriously, you need to write a blog about what you're doing for clients here at the agency. It needs to be like a weekly or every other week or something. And just build a really nice article where you share whatever latest experiment you're working on. Are you trying to improve the subject lines of their emails? Are you tinkering with the format of their videos? Whatever. And just take some screenshots, tell people what you're doing and what the results of the experiment is. And he's like, you know what you should call it? He's like, it's like Matt, it's like Matt Johnson were relentlessly pursuing results. So, <laughs> so I, stopped. I did, I took his advice and dude, I, I seen the transformation. I went from, and I, I had only worked with that firm for like six months and they had a, they gave me like their oldest clients that were all off system. You couldn't get a hold of any of them. They didn't answer their cell phone. They were terrible. They were the worst clients to hand a new person. They gave me their, their, their worst clients. They threw them at me. Uh, and I went from not being able to get people on the phone to people going, yeah, let's have a strategy call. Like I want to, I want to tell you what's going on in my business and so that you know, and can help us adjust our marketing for the next year. So I went from like I watched that transformation take place in only two to three months of blogging about what I was doing and sending that out to the clients. Like I, I felt the shift in how I was treated. And then when I started doing webinars with higher level people and asking good questions, I saw it shift again. And the longer I did podcasting, it shifted from not being, and I'm talking about the literal same people from not being able to get them on the phone to being able to get them on the phone and having intelligent conversations to them going, oh, wow, I can't believe I got you. Like I, they called me and I picked up and they're like, I can't believe you picked up the phone. The same people, the same group of people. I watched that transformation with my very eyes over the course of two years. And anybody can do that. 
That's awesome. <laughs> and I, I will say for everyone out there, I'm also very similar to Matt in the sense that one of my mentors said it's time for you to jump on social media. I had not had one social media account my entire life, essentially, until okay. roughly 12 months ago. No way. Are you yeah. serious? You're 26 years old and you did not have a social media network or profile. No, no, no. Wow. No, I was That's not, awesome. not into that. Um, <laughs> but then my mentor's like, are, are hey, you naturally an introvert or just no, don't like social media? No, I just You're not an introvert. I'm not an introvert. I'm an okay. extrovert. But the thing is like through high school and college, I was running so many different companies while trying to go to school and making sure employees were doing what they were supposed to do. I was like, I don't have time for this garbage. You know, and I, I was just like, there's no value here. Everyone's just taking pictures of how pretty they are. I'm not pretty. So I'm just not going to do that. But Good. I will say, as soon as I heard like one of my mentors who's way smarter than me saying it's time to do it, I was like, oh, gosh, fine, I'll do it. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is just doing it over and over and over again and putting in the time, even if you don't have a lot of responses. I mean, I go through the first month, I'm on Instagram, I'm like, my goodness, I have 90 followers. It's embarrassing. <laughs> no one likes me. <laughs> and, you know, like, wasn't getting many DMs. There weren't any, there wasn't a lot of business flowing. But, you know, 12 months later, I'm at 11,000 plus followers and it really helps your business and yep. just staying consistent. I think that's the biggest thing is this consistency. That's yep. the game changer. And that's why I think, the people in the 99 percentile end up being in the 99 percentile because they're they're longer than the other 99 percent of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Consistency wins out in everything. You can say it about podcasting, social media, blogging, whatever. Yeah. The people that uh, and that's why it's so important when you get out of the gate, kind of going back to what you asked about kind of the start of things is doing it. So my, my business coach said this to me not that not too long ago. He said, look, look doing your best isn't the maximum amount of effort you could give in the short term. Doing your best is doing what's sustainable over the long term. And that kind of helped, you know, like switch my perspective up, right? Because we, we think like you read, you know, like if you absorb enough Gary Vee and Grant Cardone, your, your expectation becomes great. Well, now I have to spend every second of every waking hour and a couple of hours that I'm not allowed to sleep anymore all working and all on social media, which I don't think is true at all. It's good to work hard. It's good to hustle, but it's much better to hustle at the right things. And it's a lot better to commit when you're first starting out to something that is a sustainable level of hustle, whatever that is for you, because the game is won by those people that are consistent. And if you commit to just being consistent, that's more important than the roller coaster ride of hustling 18 hours one day and then one hour the next day. Gosh, you're just making good points. Just making good points over there. Okay, so <laughs> I think this would be a good transition when okay. it comes to, well, really, you already brought up podcasts that are doing it right. Yeah. What are the trends you see in successful podcasts? And then what are the trends you see in the podcasts that just ultimately die off? Mm, that's a good question. Well, yeah, like the, the you, know, you mentioned there's a, there's a lot of podcasts out there, and there are. There's like 700,000 of them which in the big scope of things, considering there's 300 million people in America, that's actually not that much, but if, it feels like a lot, right? So 700,000 po podcasts, uh, like something like half of them are six months old or less. Really? Right? Yeah. 
Like, so the, the weird thing about new and noteworthy, which also makes podcast launching not as important is like the new and noteworthy as of a few months ago, there were, there were podcasts on the new noteworthy section in iTunes that had already come and gone. They launched, put out episodes for, for a few months and then stopped and hadn't put out an episode in like six months. And we're still on the quote unquote new and noteworthy list for God knows what, what reason. And so there's a, there's a lot of them that come and go like that. And, um, so you have to commit to something that's sustainable. I would say if you're in business and you're using podcasting to quote unquote, promote your business, there's two ways to go about it. Number one, you can run a lead generation podcast and do nothing but interview potential clients. So the more episodes, the better, right? Cause they're sales appointments for you. Like that is a definite strategy. And I did, um, on my, um, on my podcast, I did a whole episode about the pros and cons of doing that strategy because it is a very definite strategy and you cannot care about what the audience thinks of that podcast It is a way to generate sales appointments, pure and simple, nothing more. I don't think that's where great sustainable podcasts come from, but it's not a bad way to start. Right. Um, but when you transition to like more building an audience and you want to start, you know, leading people, essentially, you want a group of people to pay attention to what you have to say, and you want to be like a thought leader or an influencer, then the game changes. You want to interview other influencers. You want to feature uh, success stories from clients. And then you want to flip the microphone on and do some solo episodes where you just speak to your audience. That's the real, like what we've dialed in. That's what we consider our weekly podcast formula that we train all of our clients to do is like one to two conversations with influencers each month, a success story with a successful client and a solo episode. That's four episodes a month. If you do that, like that kind of prevents you from flaming out and either quitting or, you know, just not doing what it takes to build an audience consistently from then the game is just consistency and continually refining what is the idea of the show that people can tell other people about. So you generate authentic word of mouth. Boom. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now we're going to, we're going to quickly shift away from the podcast world because I, I listened to one of your podcasts. I don't remember which show you were on, but you were talking about your routines and habits and you said you could talk about it forever. And I think <laughs> when we focus on helping master the start of business, I think the routines and habits are huge because that's the only way you're going to succeed ultimately. So what are your routines and habits? I, I really need to hear some of these. Okay. So What's interesting is as I have freed myself up from the busyness and the hustle of the agency, I find less of a need for certain habits. So I want to go back a little bit a few years ago to when I was really in the thick of it and I was you know, putting in 40, 50 hours a week growing the agency and stuff like that. I would wake up in the morning and I had the exact same routine, like from showering to meditation before I got out of bed. I made my bed every day. Like at some point I like mixed pushups into the morning. Um, I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. So that's kind of always built into my, uh, my life. And then I, I started tinkering a little bit with, when I started working with my business coach, I started tinkering with, um, tracking my dreams. And so, uh, so I journal that every morning. If I have a dream that I remember that goes into my journal, uh, I actually report that. And then I still do this. I send a daily report, a recap of the day in four key areas. And I send that to my business coach every day. You could also just write that up for yourself. So it's not, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily the fact that you have to have a business coach, but that's, that's one of the things that I do that's built into my day. All of those things helped. The thing that really, um, that really helped me was getting my days broken into themes. And so certain days of the week are for certain things, right? So Tuesday morning, 
and Friday morning is when I have all my operations meetings for the agency. And then for the most part, it doesn't require any time outside that other than the occasional Voxer message back and forth with account managers. So that frees up Monday, all day Monday, and all day Thursday for writing, which is how I got the book done. And then Wednesday mornings are usually for podcast interviews, whether I'm, you know, the host or the guest, whatever. And then Friday morning is when I host my um, real estate show. It's the last appointment of the week as at 11 o'clock. And then I usually take Friday afternoons off, right? And then I'm working weekend mornings because that's what works for me. Anyway, took a lot of experimentation to find that out, but I found out like the rhythm that worked for me, right? Get up in the morning, work from 7 a.m. to noon. And then for the most part, everything after that's optional. And I found that, look, if I can't get what I'm committing to done in 30 hours a week of business, I'm overcommitted. At least that's what I found for myself. Because what I found is that I, when I was willing to jump in and do more of the work, I was just doing work to do work. I wasn't doing work that was effective, that really moved the needle. Because if, I, if it was something that I wasn't willing to pay somebody else 10 or 15 hour, bucks an hour to do, well, why did it need to be done at all? So once I started really limiting myself, that's when I started to ask myself much tougher questions about what I was doing and why I was doing it. And that's when I started cutting back on the number of companies I was involved in and just really getting focused on the agency. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I got to where I am today. So it all stems from like the rituals and routines and how I laid my week out. That's solid. I need to take a step back because I have never heard anyone say they track their dreams. <laughs> it's either well, that's, you are yeah. crazy. Or yeah. there's a method to the madness. Why, why were you tracking your dreams? Would okay, you go so back here's, and review them? Uh, not, not a lot. Um, here's, here's my business coach's belief on this. And he, he's done a lot of reading on it. He's a big student of Freud. I am not. And so I'm trusting on him on this a little bit. But here's his perspective. His perspective is that if you don't remember your dreams, there is a wall between your unconscious and your conscious mind. Your unconscious is what drives your effort, your creativity, your problem solving that actually gets you closer to your goals. So if your conscious and unconscious are divided, you're really, you know, you're hampering yourself and you're really not aligned and you're not really able to go and run hard after the goals that you want because your unconscious is actually fighting you in your own goal setting, right? So, and I think I, my personal opinion on this right now is that he's right about that, right? There was, there was many, many, many years where I didn't think I dreamed at all and didn't want to, wasn't interested. When I started tracking it, you started, it started revealing things that were going on unconsciously that needed to be dealt with. And that has helped, right? So that's why I track the dreams. Now, I, I, in the context of me being coached by someone, he helps me work through those and it helps inform his coaching just by reading my daily reports of what I've dreamed the previous nights. So we don't necessarily talk about and get a lot of, we don't get into like a lot of dream interpretation. It just, it informs how he coaches me and it starts to reintegrate that connection between unconscious and conscious mind. A good place to start if you're curious about that stuff would be, um, you remember the book, uh, psycho cybernetics? Yes. Yeah. I love that book. It's one of my top five recommended. I wish I had come across it 10 years earlier. So that's a really great book. If anybody, it doesn't deal directly with that, but it talks a lot about how it's your unconscious. That is that goal seeking mechanism. It's like the, um, it's like the rudder of a tomahawk missile or something like that. Like it's, it's what keeps you making those little micro adjustments towards your goals. And if your unconscious is fighting against you for whatever reason, you're not going to make the right adjustments and you won't hit your goals. So the more you can deal with that, the better. Hmm. Yeah. So that's Jeez. a lot. There's, yeah. There's always a first on every show that we do. <laughs> Before we hop into the quick fire questions and we start wrapping mm -hmm. this thing up, tell me a little bit about the podcast that you host. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, you can see the artwork behind me is called the UX podcast, and the season uh, season one's coming to an end. So you can look out for I'll probably do a season two down the road. Uh, I'm going to launch a new podcast called the New Media Machine, which is going to be much more focused on the tactical side of new media podcasting and marketing for coaches and consultants because that's my that's my crowd. Uh, but basically, when I when I host a podcast, my goal was to share with my audience of ideal clients the exact information they're looking for to solve problems in their business right now. So it was obviously a chance for me to network. I met a lot of great people. I got generated referrals. I generated clients, like all, all that fun stuff. But mostly I wanted to give myself an outlet for me to, to share the information that I knew that they were looking for and maybe were having trouble finding scattered throughout a whole bunch of other podcasts. I wanted to bring it together in one place. Uh, and then I wanted to ask more in-depth questions of the people that I had on there so that they could cater the message to exactly my ideal client. So I'm I'm less concerned with like the number, the download numbers of that podcast, which I actually don't pay much attention to. Um, I track it more by what the response is. Like when I send out a promotional email that talks about the episode, do I get back responses that say, holy cow, like that was really awesome. Like we need to get on the phone and talk. Like when I get responses like that, that's when I know that the podcast is working regardless of, of the download numbers and how big the audience is and stuff like that. Cause I'm going after a very, very specific hyper-focused niche and I'm excluding people by how in-depth the content is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I only want, like I want the people that have built legit six and seven figure coaching businesses that now want to still keep growing. Right. So my, my target profile is really specific and really small. There's not that many of them out there. I mean, we're talking about, I'm probably connected to about 8,000 of them on LinkedIn, but who cares? Like, I don't need an audience of a hundred thousand listeners to my podcast on this particular one because there's only like, I only want five to 10,000 of those ideal clients in my world. And I want to be everywhere that those people are. I don't want to be everywhere that everyone is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just want to take those five or 10,000 potential ideal clients and I want to hit them and be in all the places that they're at and be connected to them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, you know what I'm saying? Like I want to hit those specific group of people over and over and over again with my message. That is very niche. I love that. Very niche. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So we ask the same questions to all our guests. We call them our quick fire section, even though I'm looking at the random question from our audience and it's not yeah. a quick fire out of the gate because well, the question my best. is, <laughs> the question is if you were to give a three minute commencement speech tomorrow, what would it be? Man, putting you on the oh, spot. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it in two words. Do right. less. Do less. Do less. Do less. Yeah. And go buy the book Essentialism. How's that? Okay. Yeah. Expand on do less. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, my, my biggest mistake I made in business was the same mistake in, I made in music. It was getting into a bunch of different things, thinking that the more that I got into, it was like a lottery. Business is not like a lottery. It, it's not about the more tickets you put in. There's so much you can do with good thinking, clear decision making, and consistency that it's way better than trying to get into everything and put a bunch of tickets into the lottery. So I think that's why that's how people think of business. The more it's like who who called it this? Al Reese called it the puppy approach. Get into everything, which I, I love that visual because that's exactly what it is. It's like being a business puppy, right? And, uh, so anyway, so I, I came across that quote and that made me chuckle, but yeah, like the, the, the more, um, the more I have relentlessly focused on doing less, like, look, it, it gives you less room to hide. Like the, the more you do, 
It's just like playing the drums. The, the, sometimes the more you play, the more you can cover up technical mistakes and you can cover up the fact that you're sloppy by being busy and technical with your playing. But when you just have to lay back and play four on the floor, like behind, you know, Zeppelin song or something like that, where every single hit has to line up and every limb has to hit at the exact same time, there can be no, there can be none of that, right? That's when you really figure out who is a good drummer. Same thing for business. When you only focus on one thing, you have to be really good at it. So people avoid that by getting involved in lots of different things because they're trying to put a lot, lots of different lottery tickets into the lottery. Uh, yeah, it's just to me, it's just not the best path. And it's, it's messy and complicated and frustrating. And you end up, you know, with way more anxiety than you need to in business. You have no idea how applicable what you just said. I, I can't even tell you how applicable it is to my life right now. It's yeah. almost an embarrassment. Um, <laughs> I'll have to talk behind the scenes about that. But yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm curious. Sure. But yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So the second quick fire question that we ask everyone, and this is going to be interesting considering you brought up your internship program before this, mm-hmm. what skills does a young professional need to have straight out of college? That's a great question. The hardest thing for me to teach, because I literally have to send every intern and everybody, every young person that I hire, I created a training module called communication that gets results. Uh, the informal title would be how to talk to an entrepreneur so they don't ignore you. Right. Yeah. Uh, cause, yeah. Cause people come out of college and they have no, they, they are insanely ill-equipped to write an email that an actual human being would read. Right. So, uh, just a, as a quick example, um, don't ask multiple questions in the same email write emails in such a way that they can be read on a mobile phone as opposed to having to be read on desktop to even be legible, right? So there's certain things like that, like, like both high school and college, because they set the requirements for good writing, starts with volume of words that you've written. In the business world, it's literally the exact opposite. Your, your success in life and in business a lot of times depends on your ability to get things done, which means conveying a lot of information in the fewest number of words possible and getting somebody to say yes. So that's my personal opinion on that. So if you can get, if you can get to maybe take some copywriting courses or, or just get in, into an environment like I did where you're around somebody that knows how to get things done and work with entrepreneurs, uh, that, that's how I, I felt like I learned a lot just by spending six months around somebody like in an office every day with somebody who actually got things done, had built a company and talked to nothing but other entrepreneurs all day. And you absorb that pacing the language, the, the, how, how much is condensed and how much you can say in one phrase, uh, it's, it's almost something you have to see in action to really get it. So the more you get around successful people, the more you'll pick that up. Very cool. Yeah. Third quick fire question. What do you believe needs to be sacrificed for success? Mm. A lot of times what needs to be satis- or sacrificed is our own need for variety, our own boredom. So in, in order to build, like I said, like it's not about putting a lot of tickets in the lottery. It's about consistency, good, clear thinking and decision making, and then just keep you know, plugging away at the same thing. So once you believe that that's true, then you start to recognize that, oh, man, like, you know, am I OK doing the same thing a year from now that I'm doing now? And if the answer isn't yes, then you got to find that the best answer is not to continually evolve your business. The best answer is to figure out a way to get that, like scratch your creative itch through things that you do outside the business or in the marketing for the business. So if you like, once you get your operations down and you know like what your product is or what your service is, like leave that alone as much as possible and scratch your creative itch in how you market and grow the business or find a hobby and get your creative itch that way. 
what I see is there's a lot of entrepreneurs and freelancers and whatever that they're constantly pivoting and they never give any one thing the chance to work because they're using the business at, to, to like scratch their creative itch more than actually build a successful business. And you can do both. Like it's, I, don't, I don't even think you haven't, even have to sacrifice your creative itch. Just find a good outlet for it. Last question. We'll wrap this thing up. By the way, that was a great answer. I just... I'm just trying to consume it all. Um, And I don't know how many times I can say that was a great answer. And mm, I really like that. You know, it gets annoying. (laughs) So last question. Uh, What is one life hack a student of business should apply to their life this week? What's one actionable task they can apply? Introduce somebody to each other. One of the things that I tracked for a long time in the business was the number of strategic introductions I was making. And when I hire a sales rep to do business development, that's one of the things that they will track, right? Because that was one of the most effective things I did for my personal network and for sales was to look for opportunities to introduce people in my world to each other. And the better your network is, the better introductions you can make. And the more you become known as a person who is well-connected, the more well-respected and well-known you are even if you're not quite sure yet exactly what the hell you do, right? So if you're not sure what your service is or if you haven't found that one thing that you can narrow down and focus on, you can always, always, always introduce people in your network to each other to add value to their lives. And they'll have great things to say about you, even if they can't quite articulate what it is that you do. Love it. There, I said it. I said (laughs) it and I'm okay with it. I feel good about saying I love it. (laughs) All right. I think that's a good place to wrap this thing up. So Matt, before I let you go, how can people connect with you? Mm -hmm. I'll put it all in the show notes, but obviously people like to hear it over their old headphones. Yes. Uh, go to pursuingresults.com. Uh, if you're curious about getting featured on interviews like this, so like my, my staff reached out and, and connected us. And if you want that same thing to happen, uh, you can either be the one that's booking people or you can be the influencer who's getting booked. But either way, I put a, together a training on how to find the right podcast and get booked and get pitched consistently and reach new audiences and all that fun stuff. So it's at howtogetfeatured.com. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Matt. We appreciate Thanks, it. Bob. Yeah, it was super fun. Sweet. Bobby back with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Master to Start with Matt Johnson. I hope you lived up to the hype that I had in the intro because I legitimately thought he was so fascinating. And if you're looking to start a hobby, if you're looking to run a business, if you're just looking to get your name out there, a podcast is definitely the way to go now. So it's super exciting to learn tangible ways to actually launch a podcast and grow a podcast. I I just can't really say much more than that. It was awesome to sit there and talk with Matt Johnson. One thing before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your week, please, please, please help us out this week, okay? If you guys could do us a huge favor, we know you're listening, do us a favor and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a review, like the podcast, wherever you listen, whether it's Spotify, iHeart, iTunes, Google Play, all those good places, do us a favor and help us out. One last thing, actually. To help us out, tell a friend. If you're listening all the time, we we would love to have new listeners. It'd mean the world to us. So if you really like this episode, tell someone about it. Have them listen. And that's actually the way to sum it up. So thank you so much. Have an awesome, awesome week. And we can't wait to see you next Monday on Master the Start.